Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Good morning, and welcome to another Virtual Legality. I'm Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to get back to one of those topics that you know I know and love, and that's Bungie, and in more particularity, their separation from Activision earlier this year. Now, if you looked at Virtual Legality episode number 13, you saw that we analyzed at some depth the Bungie and Activision contract as it stood when it was first entered into by those parties. Well, just recently, Activision has actually filed its 10K form, which is the annual reporting that it does to the Securities and Exchange Commission in order to inform its investors and those that are analyzing the company about what it has done in the prior year, in this case, 2018. And some additional information came out about that. And uh, it also came out about what the restructuring plan for Activision was, how they are interpreting it, uh, the restructuring being uh, the layoffs that some of you may or may not have heard about that Activision underwent uh, earlier this month, which was about uh, what people are estimating at about 800 people based on the percentages that are given and the total kind of global workforce that we know Activision has. And they are also some statements in the financial statements about that. And it's something I want to discuss because I think some of the language that's used in those statements is being misinterpreted a little bit. And then as a finale to this video, I also want to talk about some of the things we see changing in uh, Destiny as Bungie has taken over and some red flags that have been raised by some folks online uh, with respect to how they're monetizing, especially their pay store, which is called the Eververse in Destiny, uh, after there were some announcements in respect of their new season yesterday, which is called uh, the Season of the Drifter. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And I also want to talk about the end user license agreement, which they call a limited software license agreement. Uh, that everybody that plays Destiny uh, has entered into, and frankly, which needs to be modified a little bit after Bungie separated from Activision, but we'll get to that as well. Uh, so without further ado, let's take a look at the Bungie Activision contract uh, just for a second that I know we've looked at in previous videos in this virtual legality series, uh, but that does help inform the situation that Bungie found itself in when it wanted to separate from Activision earlier this year. So here we are looking at section 17 of the Bungie Activision contract. This is a section that's uh, near and dear to my heart after looking at it in a number of videos in respect of the Bungie Activision separation. Uh, but it's just really being used in this video as a kind of reminder of where uh, Activision and Bungie stood, at least when they originally entered into this agreement. Now, this has the same disclaimer that I've had in my other videos when I discussed this contract, which is that undoubtedly this agreement would have been amended. It would have been amended and restated. It would have been altered in terms of how these companies uh, are reacting to each other, what rights and obligations each has to each other as the years go on. That's very normal in a commercial relationship. And so whatever it looked like immediately before uh, Bungie separated from Activision, uh, it didn't look exactly like this. But 
analyzing this kind of contract is still useful structurally because this is how the parties envisioned their relationship when it started. And although it was likely amended or even amended and restated, it probably still had the same kind of skeleton structure of what the overall rights and obligations were going to be between these parties, if not the details. And we see here in section 17.1, Activision shall have the right to terminate if Destiny 1 doesn't sell enough, if Halo Reach doesn't get it high enough, uh, reviews if it doesn't sell enough, uh, and at any time after the launch of Comet number 2. Uh, which would have been Forsaken, the second expansion, the expansion to Destiny 2. So Activision had the right to terminate after uh, Forsaken was released, uh, but that doesn't mean that it would want to if it was happy with the relationship. We go down further in this uh, document, we see, uh, should Activision terminate the agreement at any time prior to the conclusion of the development term, if it doesn't naturally cancel, and, and Bungie had an obligation to make more games than just uh, Forsaken, so it wasn't coming to its natural end when this all happened, uh, then... Uh, Activision shall uh, retain rights and licenses necessary to continue to publish and distribute the products that were made for two years from the date of termination. So they had this kind of tail right uh, that continued on that they would be able to make money off of Destiny after the termination of the agreement. And some other rights that Activision also had with respect to uh, getting royalties, getting subscription money, getting pay, pay store money from the Destiny stuff. Uh, and what we don't see here is we don't see any right of Bungie to terminate the agreement other than for essentially breach. Activision fails to pay, fails to do something that they've otherwise agreed to do. Activision goes bankrupt, things of that nature. Uh, Bungie didn't have the right to get out of this contract unilaterally. It didn't have the same right that Activision has after comment number two to say, hey, you know what? This has been great, but we're walking away. Only Activision had that right. And when you have that situation, there's a lot of leverage uh, on, on one party's half and not the other in, in terms of if Bungie decides after Comet 2, hey, they'd rather this relationship not go forward, Activision's holding a substantial number of cards and saying, hey, no, we have an agreement for a longer period of time. And however this agreement might have been amended, uh, we probably can still hold your feet to the fire to some extent. Now, as I said in my earlier video, there isn't kind of involuntary servitude in America. So Bungie, while they would have signed this contract and doesn't want to get sued by Activision or deal with those lawyers, could essentially slow roll the fact that they don't really want to be a part of this relationship anymore, signal out to Activision that they're unhappy, and basically make things difficult for Activision to proceed forward, which I suspect was at least part of the negotiations here, uh, is that Bungie just simply wanted to leave. And when you have a party that doesn't want to be a partner with you anymore, that's often a time when even the lawyers have to look at things and say, okay, we probably need to figure out a way out where everybody can save face to some extent because one party doesn't want to be involved in this partnership anymore. And so that's the context uh, with which we're going to review what I'm about to show you, which is what Activision has revealed about how this separation occurred monetarily. And that's really interesting. Uh, however, you should be warned, it's going to be a little bit opaque because of the way financial statements work, that we're not going to have an exact read on the amounts of money that were exchanged here and what exactly happened uh, because they don't have to reveal that to us. Uh, certainly not right this second, uh, but it's unlikely that it'll come out in full detail at any time in the future. Uh, while we get there, I did want to give a shout out to a fantastic Twitter follow, uh, Daniel Ahmad, who you may have seen quoted in previous videos as well as in any number of uh, business articles, especially about the Chinese business of the video game industry, I highly recommend the follow. He is uh, at ZHugeEx 
uh, and he often discusses uh, Chinese uh, financials, Tencent, uh, expansions of Western companies into that market, and also analyzes financial statements and does flag for folks uh, exactly what is happening with the financial statements that are coming out about these uh, large companies like Activision. And so he flagged this, uh, this item here that we're about to go into uh, in the SEC filing. And uh, here's the pertinent language, and we'll also show the SEC filing and link it in the description so you have the primary document to reflect on. In 2010, Activision entered into an exclusive relationship with Bungie, Inc., to publish games in the Destiny franchise. Effective December 31st, 2018, Activision and Bungie mutually agreed to terminate their publishing relationship related to the Destiny franchise. As part of this termination, Activision agreed to transfer its publishing rights for the Destiny franchise to Bungie in exchange for cash and Bungie's assumption of ongoing customer obligations of Activision. Stop right there. We're going to get to the numbers in a second. I know that you can see those on the video. Uh, but so what we have here is we have an acknowledgement that Activision had continuing rights under their contract, whether that was licensing rights, whether that was rights just to receive revenue, whatever it was, Activision was entitled to certain rights that were related to its publishing of the Destiny franchise. Bungie wanted Activision out altogether. They didn't want to have this continuing tail period. And so they gave Activision cash and they assumed the ongoing customer obligations of Activision. Activision would have had existing kind of service level requirements uh, to service the customers on Destiny. And essentially Bungie said, okay, along with our cash, we're going to take on that responsibility, which makes sense because they want to be siloed off. They want to own Destiny in its entirety. And that's going to include servicing the customers that have issues with it or otherwise providing service level functions. And so they said, okay, we're going to buy that uh, from you as well, Activision. And that would have been some kind of cost outlay. So that's why that appears when we start talking about financial statements. Going forward, Activision no longer has any material rights or obligations related to the Destiny franchise. Activision's out. As a result of the agreement to terminate the relationship, the company recognized net bookings, a key operating metric of $20 million, bookings being essentially obligations for somebody to pay uh, in the future usually. And again, when we talk about these kinds of things, accounting level issues, uh, I, I want to give you the same advice I give to my clients, which is uh, lawyers know enough to be dangerous, and I'm no different from that. Um, so I know enough to be able to read these things, to talk about notes, to talk in broad strokes about what the financial implications likely are from reading through one of these things. But you definitely want to go to a CPA. You want to go to an accountant to get the full detail because generally accepted accounting practices gap, uh, which we see here, uh, is a uh, ambiguous and multifaceted uh, set of rules and regulations. And accountants are really the folks that know those the best. Uh, and so what you hear on this video, please take with a grain of salt, uh, because it's my understanding, but there are probably some nuances I'm missing in respect of the entirety of what we're talking about with respect to this money, because falling into different buckets is something that the, the CPAs have studied their entire lives. And I highly recommend using one if you're starting your own business. Um, but there's $20 million in recognized net bookings and then gap revenues of $164 million and gap operating income of $91 million for the year ended December 31st, 2018. Now, those 164 and that 91, those are very specific type numbers. Uh, so it looks to be that Bungie probably paid about $164 million, depending on exactly how much uh, of that is considered uh, assumed liabilities that Bungie has taken on with respect to Activision's customer obligations. Uh, it's, it's some split between cash and those assumed liabilities. 
and gap operating income of 91 million. The difference between revenue and operating income is essentially that the income is netted against operating expenses. So that's the money that Activision spends uh, to actually keep the thing going for Destiny. So the 164 top line number is some combination of cash uh, and assumed liabilities that Activision actually puts on its books that it was otherwise going to either spend or received as cash. And that's essentially what Bungie agreed to pay in order to get Destiny out from under Activision, which is a heck of a lot of money. $164 million uh, is, is a lot of money. And so you can certainly interpret this as Bungie was very eager, very motivated uh, to get out from under Activision and was willing to spend a lot of money to do it. Uh, and so Bungie has spent that money, may have gotten loans to acquire that money, depending on what their cash situation was uh, as of uh, the end of last year and, and when they announced this to, to leave Activision. And so that puts them in a specific situation in terms of monetizing uh, what the, what it is that they uh, what they, they got when they bought the Destiny franchise. And that's one of the things I want to talk about here because you're looking at a new world order after this sale takes place. You're looking at a bungee uh, that has spent an enormous amount of money to get this property back. And frankly, they're going to need to find ways to get that money out. They're going to have to extract it in some fashion uh, out of the franchise. And so it's not really a surprise what we saw yesterday, uh, but it still takes a few folks back. And I think it's worth noting from a consumer's perspective, it's not necessarily something we would like, uh, but that if you are a fan of Destiny and you thought getting rid of Activision was going to remove some of the monetization, it might in the long term, uh, but certainly in the short term, when you start talking about hundreds of millions of dollars being spent uh, Bungie has its own uh, C CFO. Bungie has its own financial people. Bungie has its own uh, number crunchers that are going to have to make this work. It's going to have to make it make sense for them to have bought this product, this franchise back for themselves. Uh, and so uh, that's a lot of money. It's a $150 million plus bet. Uh, and it's certainly one that is encouraging uh, if you like Destiny, that Bungie is so invested in this property that they would make a bet like this. I think it's very encouraging for the long-term viability, the long-term uh, focus on the Destiny project. But in the short term, it might inflict some pain on, on its biggest fans uh, right now. So let's take a look at the actual SEC filing document uh, because I think that's also useful. I always like to look at primary documentation rather than just Twitter feeds in order to uh, make sure that the what's being conveyed is accurate. This is a Form 10-K. Uh, this is, like I said, it's a public filing made by a public company in order to inform its investors of what's going on. Uh, and we can scroll through a little bit and we can see uh, the piece of language that we just uh, read about the $20 million in bookings, uh, which is probably uh, future obligations that maybe Bungie licensed uh, from Activision uh, to do the transition period uh, in which Activision is going to have all the infrastructure to essentially provide the support services for customers. And in the transition, Bungie probably will owe them some money, would be my guess. Uh, but again, that's just guess. That's speculation uh, when we're talking about what the net bookings are. And it could be something uh, instead related to uh, annual passes or subscriptions or something like that. Um, but we see that language copied here. So we know that's in here. Uh, and again, if you're at all interested in how these companies work, I do recommend just occasionally popping in, reading some annual financial statements, reading some quarterly financial statements. Uh, they aren't a ton of fun to read uh, in terms of the numbers and the charts and the tables. Uh, but when you get down to the notes, when you get talk down to talking about segments and uh, what the risk factors of the company are, 
I think they are very interesting and I highly recommend it if you're at all interested in the business of these things or the business of any other industry if you're looking at something else. Uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff to be gleaned here. Uh, and speaking of those risk factors, I wanted to talk about that uh, a little bit. Um, we go a little bit further down in the financial statements. You can see these are long documents. Uh, lawyers get paid a lot of money uh, and spend a lot of time to make sure these are as compliant as possible with SEC rules. And we see a we see a section here called risk factors. And these are essentially lists, paragraphs of things that relate to what the company has done, what the company is doing, that they want to essentially disclaim. They want to tell investors, hey, we're making our best guesses. We're, we're fulfilling our fiduciary duties in running this company, uh, but we don't know everything. Nobody can see the future, so we're doing our best. Uh, and so we have this section here um, that talks about the restructuring. Uh, and it says, we may not realize the expected financial and operational benefits of our recently announced restructuring plan, and its implementation may negatively impact our business. In February 2019, we announced a restructuring plan under which we plan to refocus our resources on our largest opportunities and to remove unnecessary levels of complexity and duplication from certain parts of our business. While we believe this restructuring plan will enable us to provide better opportunities for talent and greater expertise and scale on behalf of our business units, our ability to achieve the desired and anticipated benefits from the restructuring plan within our desired and expected time frame is subject to many estimates and assumptions and the actual savings and timing for those savings may vary materially based on factors such as local labor regulations, negotiations with third parties, and operational requirements. These estimates and assumptions are also subject to significant economic, competitive, and other uncertainties, some of which are beyond our control. Further, there can be no assurance that our business will be more efficient or effective than prior to implementation of the plan, or that additional restructuring plans will not be required or implemented in the future. The implementation of this restructuring plan may also be costly and disruptive to our business or have other negative consequences, such as attrition beyond our planned reduction in workforce, or negative impacts on employee morale and productivity, or on our ability to attract and retain highly skilled employees. Any of these consequences could negatively impact our business. And so the reason I highlighted this, the reason I wanted to discuss this is this is another kind of item that Daniel Ahmad had highlighted in his tweets and that has been picked up in certain circles. I, I saw this tweet uh, earlier today uh, and I looked at this article and it essentially takes that language that we just read. Uh, this is a, a tweet from PC Games Insider, which isn't a, a periodical I'm familiar with, but it says in its 10K SEC filing, Activision Blizzard has said last month's job cuts could potentially have a negative impact on its business and reports it as if uh, a revelation uh, that Activision doesn't know what it's doing and that it uh, doesn't know whether the restructuring was a good idea or not, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to just kind of reframe that from a lawyer's perspective just for a second. I don't think there's any guarantees that Activision made a good call or, or not in respect to the restructuring. But if we look at where this is positioned in the financial statements, in the risk factors, and we look at some of these other ones, it's very normal for a company to essentially say, hey, we can't read the future. So yeah, we made this restructuring because we think this is the best way to profitability in the, in, in the future. We do. We think it's the best call. But we don't know how everybody in our workforce is going to react to it. We don't know whether the next guy we try to recruit to a highly paid position in our companies will sit down in front of us and say, yeah, I would, except you fired all those people last year, so I don't want to take that job. We simply don't know. 
and it's our job when we're reporting to our investors to say the things we don't know, to kind of look out into the future and say, here are the bad things that could happen to us. Frankly, you want your management, you want your board, you want your company to be thinking of these things. Hey, we made these decisions. How could these go wrong? What are the ways in which this could hurt us? Because that's how you plan for the future. That's how you plan for those things. That's how you try to make sure that you're insulated from those occurrences is by thinking about them. That's one of the reasons you hire lawyers, frankly, is for a lawyer to take a look from a third-party perspective at the contract you have, at the organization you have, at the management structure you have, and say, hey, have you thought about the fact that you have an even number of board members and that you could tie and then you could potentially lose your company to a court action, et cetera, et cetera. You want the lawyer to look at something from afar and say, hey, um, you did this restructuring, but have you thought about how people might react to it in the future? Have you thought about how there might be problematic negotiations or you might run out of people in a, in a fashion that you didn't anticipate, that you overfired? Uh, or that other people could leave. You see, there's a reference to attrition greater than what we had intended. That when you fire 800 people, maybe another 400 say, uh, you know what, I don't like this place. And they start looking around. That's going to be part and parcel of this. And they don't know how that's going to react because they can't see the future. And some of these other risk factors are we depend on a relatively small number of franchises for profit. If we do not consistently deliver popular, high-quality content, or if consumers prefer competing products, our business might be negatively impacted. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. We only have a small number of brands. If everybody decides tomorrow that they don't like Call of Duty, that's going to be a problem for our bottom line. And so this is a normal, essentially required function of financial statements. And to report it as differently than that uh, is a problem. Uh, and I think it's a problem that is in the game industry, maybe more specifically than others, uh, but that there are a lot of folks out there writing articles that are making commentary that don't have a lot of familiarity with how financial statements work, with how the business of video games work, with how the business of anything really works. And so I want to try to at least illuminate that a little bit, that this is not at all unusual. This is exactly the kind of language that would be expected from a massive, massive layoff slash restructuring like the one Activision did. Uh, and so it doesn't really say anything about how they feel about it other than here are the ways that it could go wrong. And we still thought it was a good idea, even those, even even though that is existent as a way this could go wrong. Uh, and so with that said, I just wanted to make that brief aside with respect to the financial statements. Now I want to talk about Bungie monetization. Uh, we've got the season of the Drifter coming up. This is really the first time that Bungie appears to have the, the full reins over the direction that Destiny is going. And one of the changes we see uh, having been announced is one that directly impacts uh, their bottom line in terms of paid content. And so I wanted to flag that. So we look at this week at Bungie, which is, uh, to Bungie's credit, they regularly do blog posts. They regularly announce the, the updates that are going to happen, things to be excited for in their new season. Uh, and they say, next Tuesday, a new season begins in Destiny 2. When the Drifter assumes control of our shared adventure, he'll have much more to offer than the Gambit you've known since the release of Forsaken Gambit being a mode of play uh, in Destiny, if you're not familiar with the game. They talk about a lot of stuff here. So this is a, mostly a marketing post. Hey, this is the stuff you should be excited about. Hey, this is the extra stuff you get if you're an annual pass holder, etc. Nothing wrong with this. A lot of marketing here. Uh, but if we scroll down, and we have to scroll down quite a ways... Uh, which is usually a good indication that they don't necessarily want to highlight something, but they did at least mention it, which is good. We keep scrolling, we keep scrolling, and we get to Eververse Seasonal Update. Uh, and here's what they had to say about this. With each season, we have an opportunity to update our goals surrounding Eververse, uh, which is their pay store in Destiny, and the ways players engage with it. 
In Season of the Drifter, we've put more focus on giving players control in the ways they acquire the items they wish to equip, which is a trend we're seeing in the video game industry in general, which is there was a lot of pushback a couple years back with respect to loot boxes. We see them banned in certain uh, international locales. We see an FTC workshop being considered for later in this year to talk about loot boxes and whether they're gambling and whether they should be regulated by governments, et cetera, et cetera. And so a number of uh, companies, a number of video game models have really moved away from loot boxes into something that is more directly controlled by the consumer. And that is uh, what they are essentially trying to frame this change as to say, hey, we had a kind of loot box component. We're going to get rid of it. Uh, and we are going to uh, allow you to buy things directly. In this case, the loot box was called the prismatic matrix because Destiny's got a destiny and they have a lot of fun lore-based words for what they do. But essentially that, on a weekly basis, you would get one free kind of prismatic drop uh, and you would be able to take a, a list of what would otherwise be expensive stuff and you could use one prismatic matrix and get one of these things on the list of, of stuff. Uh, and so what they're doing is they are changing that. And here's what they say. Last year, we talked about our efforts to give you more control over how you purchase Eververse items. We released the Prismatic Matrix as an experiment to partially address this, but we believe we can do even better. For Season of the Drifter, we want to try something new. We will be removing the Prismatic Matrix, so they're getting rid of the loot box. Instead, every week there will be unique bundles available that can be directly purchased for silver, allowing you to directly buy exactly the items you want. All unique bundles will also contain an exclusive vanity item available only through that weekly bundle. So they had a loot box. Yes, you could buy prismatic matrices and continue to get more and more of these kind of random items, but there was at least a free prismatic matrix pull per week, and you could kind of slowly accrue what you wanted through that and through some other mechanisms, uh, what they call bright dust, which we're going to get to a little bit later in this statement. Um, but what they seem to have replaced it with are buyable packs. There doesn't appear, at least in this description, and it doesn't make sense for why they wouldn't mention it if it were the case, there doesn't appear to be a free kind of component to this. There doesn't appear to be a weekly quest where you get a certain amount of silver or that you get access to one of these unique bundles just kind of weekly until you get them all. Uh, nothing like that. They are moving to what appears to be a more monetized system that you don't have that freebie. Could be unclear. I, I said in my tweets that I was talking to some folks about this last night, hey, it's possible the weekly quest was replaced with something that gives silver, that gives more bright dust, that does something along those lines, uh, but they didn't really mention it here. And so it does read in this context as something that is more monetizing of what they are selling and trying to make at least a little bit more money, squeeze a little bit more pennies out of your wallet, get just a little bit more financing that maybe or maybe not relates to that 150 million plus that they spent to get this product back for themselves. Going on with what they say, if you currently have any prismatic facets, you can use them until March 5th, uh, which is a pretty short window. Uh, after the beginning of the new season, they will turn into expired prismatic facets that will dismantle into 150 bright dust, which is essentially the quasi premium currency that players can use to purchase a small selection of what would otherwise only be available in kind of uh, silver packs or previously through these prismatic matrix items. Uh, the bright dust storefront will also continue to offer a direct path to acquiring items found within uh, bright engrams. And those are the those are the loot boxes that you get uh, when you when you grow a level. Uh, you get a kind of assortment of things uh, whenever you go uh, up a level uh, in Destiny. 
As always, we will continue to monitor feedback and work to improve the Eververse experience each season. And when we are ready to try something new, we will share those plans directly with you. And then they talk about some of the stuff that you could potentially buy and get in the Bright Engrams. A lot of fun stuff. Um, so that's the situation. But what we see is that this wasn't responded to necessarily very well online. Certainly something that flagged this for me uh, was another person that I follow on Twitter called uh, SkillUp that does YouTube video reviews and previews, um, a number of which are very good. And I, I do recommend the follow and, and also to check out the YouTube channel. Uh, the very honest kind of review approach. Uh, I don't always agree with it, uh, but it's, it's good stuff. And they said, hey, Bungie, Drifter stuff looks great, but can you clarify the change to the Eververse? You're removing the free prismatic matrix and replacing it with paid silver bundles, yet you've indicated this is somehow an improvement. Is there an angle we're missing here? And you see I responded as well to talk about potentially they gave silver, uh, but most of the responses here and on the other places I've looked at online uh, seem to suggest that there is nothing we're missing here, and it does appear to be at least a marginally more monetized Eververse store uh, than it was before the Activision split up. And so I think there are folks that are looking at this and saying, uh-oh, Bungie is uh, at least as bad as Activision. They have their own problems, and they're going to monetize this store more. As I said at the start of this video, uh, they've got $150 million-plus liability that they appear to have undertook to get this back. So it's really no surprise that on the margins they're going to go try to get a little bit more money. But they certainly have to be cautious about that and the way they go about it uh, because it's very easy to alienate folks. And certainly if you gave something for free before and you take that away, you have to be very cautious about how you message that and you have to make sure that there at least is the uh, look of additional value in some other way. They tried to frame it that way in the statement that we just read by saying, hey, everybody is against loot boxes okay we understand we'll be against loot boxes too and you can now directly aim at what you want to buy you don't have to take a guessing game you don't have to do that kind of stuff and uh, that's good I think I think most people are more in favor of essentially directly aiming your efforts at what it is you're trying to acquire rather than going through a loot box mechanism and opening 20 and getting only stuff that you don't like uh, but I think there is more to be said on this. There's more information to be found out from Bungie or from uh, their community management to talk about what, if anything, uh, was replaced when they removed the prismatic matrix. And I think there's there's more to discuss there. Uh, but uh, that's going to be in the future and not right now. And I just wanted to talk a little bit as a kind of our final item in this video, this kind of all-encompassing Bungie's $150 million bet video to talk about the limited software license agreement that you enter into when you play Destiny or, or when you play most other games as a service live type games and really how they can change anything on you and that you don't necessarily have any rights to the experience that you're having today uh, or even tomorrow. And so let's take a look at that language as kind of the final item in this video. And we see here we're looking at the limited software license agreement, what in other contexts a lot of folks would call the end user license agreement. This is the document that we've looked at when we looked at uh, Fallout 76 and whether you could get refunds from Bethesda. That was the very first video of virtual legality. You can check that out uh, from last year. Uh, and this says, hey, use of this software program is subject to this software license agreement. By using the program, you accept the terms of this agreement. There's a lot more legalese there, but I've highlighted the items that get you there. And it basically says, hey, if you're using Destiny, you've agreed to this. And if you don't want to agree to this, don't use Destiny. So these are kind of uh, click-through attachment adhesion type contracts. You don't get to use the software if you don't agree to this stuff. And as we see, 
it allows uh, Bungie, and Bungie is by no means uh, off on its own island here. This is basically everything that you interact with as a video game player or as a software user that's using software as a service or games as a service has these kinds of provisions in there, primarily because the corporations need them in order to be able to provide the products and services that you want them to provide. But also, as we read through this, you'll see it doesn't give you much protection if they want to change something. And that's been something that I've discussed uh, on and off with various people in and and around the industry over uh, the course of the past few years, because it does mean that someday there might be a bad actor that just decides to swap out Destiny with uh, Cooking Mama. And technically speaking, under the license agreement, there's really nothing that can be done to say, I want to preserve that experience that I paid for that I had been enjoying and I don't want to play this other thing that you have built. And certainly we don't see things that are quite as bad as what I just described, but you do see these games changing. We call it the meta very often when game when when weapons are nerfed uh, and when maps are changed and things like that. Uh, but certainly if you took that to its logical conclusion, you could really change how a game plays, how a game feels. And certainly Destiny experimented with that when they changed the way guns worked. Uh, in between Destiny 2 and Forsaken. They fundamentally changed kind of how the game operated. And if somebody really liked the way the game operated before that change took place, well, they're just out of luck uh, because of agreements like this. So we scroll on. There are just a few areas I wanted to highlight here in reading through these. Uh, Like all things, I'd recommend reading through them, but they are contract language. There is a lot of legalese and a lot of lawyering here. But just as a kind of reminder, when you buy Destiny, when you buy software, you're not buying ownership of it. This is a limited-use license. Bungie grants you the non-exclusive, personal, non-transferable, limited right and license to install and use one copy of this program solely for your non-commercial use. Bungie is the owner of Destiny, and it is giving you permission to access it. They have a section here called Live Game Elements, which is really where we want to focus when we talk about changes. Your use of the program involves interaction with Bungie's live game environment. You're going to go on their servers. You're going to deal with their stuff. The program and its live game environment change over time. Bungie does not guarantee that you will be able to participate in all events or earn all in-game achievements. Access to some live elements may require additional purchase through an expansion pass or otherwise. They're saying right up front, Destiny is a universe. Destiny is a place you go and we can tear it down. We can rebuild it. We can change it. You've got a ticket. You don't own anything related to this experience. You've got a ticket to enter the Destiny universe. And if it, if you come back in six months and it looks completely different than how you remember it, that's what it is now. Uh, and it does create a kind of energy. It does create a kind of buzz, these live environments, these live events, these live teams. But it does make it hard to say, hey, I want to go back to the way it was in November of 2016. I want to play that version of the game. That version of the game doesn't exist anymore, and that's not something that's available for you to play. Uh, And I do think there are circumstances in my own gaming experience where there have been versions of the game that I liked better than how they, quote-unquote, improved them, uh, the developers. And I wish that I could go back to a previous version, but that's just not the case. Uh, Describing ownership of this, all title ownership rights and intellectual property rights in and to the program and any copies thereof are owned by Bungie. This stuff is owned by Bungie. You bought that ticket. You don't own any rights to Destiny. You don't have any contractual ability to sue them or to go after them for making changes because they are disclaiming all that stuff right now. Bungie may deploy or provide patches, updates, and modifications to the program that must be installed for you to continue to use the program. You have to do it. Bungie may update the program remotely without notifying you, and you hereby grant to Bungie consent to, to deploy and apply such patches, updates, and modifications. 
you have no choice. When they decide to make a change, they don't have to let you into Destiny if you don't make that change with them. And everybody that plays these types of games knows that. When there's an update, they don't. you just can't get in until you apply that update. And that's how this works. The limited warranty they offer is only essentially for defects in the disc that it might come on. So not even the digital way that a lot of people play games as a service. There is essentially no warranty that it will do anything for you. These are all disclaimers related to the product that you're essentially licensing. Now, here's one that I flagged that I thought was interesting. There's a limitation on damages section uh, that is a standard limitation on damages. It says they can't be uh, they can't be liable for special damages, things that relate to the fact that, hey, if Destiny went down and you missed a surgery, that you're now uh, in paralyzed or something like that, things that aren't functionally related to the way the game operates. Uh, but in termination, right under it, they have a section that says... Uh, we can terminate most things. Bungie or Activision may terminate this agreement at any time for any reason or no reason. So uh, as a little light kind of aside, uh, this was as up-to-date as I could find on the internet, uh, but it is not up-to-date for the removal of Activision from their rights under this agreement. So one thing that I would recommend if I was Bungie is I would say, hey, we need to remove the references to Activision that give Activision power over certain things uh, because right now uh, the terms of service that appear to have been signed at least that's what's online and this might have changed in the actual destiny um application uh, activision appears to have the right to terminate the, the software license which is not something you want a third party to have uh, and it's certainly not what you spent 150 million dollars plus on uh, there's an indemnity uh, where players agree to indemnify uh, Activision for those kinds of uh, and, and Bungie for for bad things that might happen to those companies based on their use of the destiny product and then we get to service provided content, uh, which is in an interesting font here. I don't know whether this is a mistake in the HTML or otherwise, but it basically says um, you can get virtual currencies. You can get uh, goodies in uh, the, the Destiny program. You can get loot and they don't have any value. Uh, you can't sue us if we somehow lose that, if it becomes corrupted, if we cancel virtual currency the day after you buy it. Um, this is designed to protect them from the fact that somebody might go and say, hey, uh, this, is, uh, this is valuable. This is something I should be able to sue over that you didn't give me something. Uh, and this was also probably lightly related to kind of loot box concepts uh, because it's important for compliance in general with kind of gambling laws uh, and other kinds of restrictions on things like gambling for it to be stated that what you could potentially quote unquote win uh, from opening a loot box doesn't have monetary value in and of itself. Uh, that everything is of essentially the same value, which is zero. And we've seen that kind of argument trotted out with respect to a defense of loot boxes uh, from various places around the industry. So that all goes with that. Uh, but it's just an important kind of concept uh, that you don't have this kind of ownership right that one naturally kind of attaches, one affixes to when they're playing a video game, when they're putting a, a, a disc into a drive and, and playing a game. One should really think of it like a ticket to a theme park. And that theme park could be under construction. It could have a ride removed. It could have a different ride added. It could change the way uh, your, uh, your lines work if you've been to you know, the Disney Worlds or the Universals of the world. That's really what you're buying is this kind of access point. You're, you aren't buying anything related to the actual uh, kind of theme park itself. Um, the last piece of uh, language here that I wanted to discuss uh, is really just the fact that they say that they can terminate the service at any time. And those of us that have played these kinds of games as a service games knows this to be true. Uh, that especially if there aren't folks that are playing it 
that these companies can turn off the servers. They don't want to pay the cost uh, for essentially running the game if it doesn't make economic sense, and we see that right here. Neither Bungie nor Activision makes any warranty or representation regarding the availability of online services, and each reserve the right to modify or discontinue online services in its sole discretion without notice, including, for example, ceasing an online service for economic reasons due to a limited number of users continuing to make use of the online service over time. Uh, and that's actually a very honest way to phrase this. I've seen it less honestly phrased in documents like this. But they essentially say, hey, look, if people start falling off of this game, and again, we see Activision here referenced, so if they haven't already, we need to remove the references to Activision Bungie from the, the, from the EULA, uh, then... Uh, if the people don't play these games anymore, it doesn't make sense for us to keep the operating system running, uh, then we're going to turn it off. Uh, and that's really what's going to happen. So again, I think this is a fascinating story. I think it's a very interesting one for the industry because we don't usually see things like this. We don't usually see uh, these massive changing of hands of this intellectual property. So I wanted to talk to you about it because... It was unclear before now exactly what kind of changed hands between Bungie and Activision, but we now know it was a lot of money. Uh, and it was certainly, if not just in cash, a lot of money. It was a lot of obligations that Activision was going to provide to Bungie that Bungie's now going to have to do for itself. So even if it wasn't a cash outlay, it was at least an assumption of liabilities that Activision was going to take on. And so Bungie really has made a $150 million plus bet on its future with Destiny. And yes, that's going to mean they're going to have to make some changes in the near term to try to fund that, to try to see where the borderline is for the profitability that they can get out of Destiny 2 in particular, uh, and then out of whatever the next Destiny product might be. In the long term, I do think I don't want people to take a negative view of Bungie or Destiny out of this video, uh, because even though you do see those changes to the Eververse, they might wind up being bad. We don't have the full detail there. And I do think if you're a Destiny fan, if you're a fan of this product, if you're a fan of Bungie, the fact that somebody is willing to spend that amount of money to commit their company to that kind of obligation is a significant, significant factor in believing that they want to pursue the game, that they want to pursue the franchise, that they want to continue on with it, and that they want to devote their resources to it. Frankly, you just don't see an investment like that. You don't see a move like this. If they could have otherwise wild away their time and, and uh, scratched their uh, chins and continued to make Destiny games under the Activision banner until that contract was over and essentially get their IP back for free, which is what happened in the contract after that contract was over. They didn't want that. They wanted it back now, and they were willing to pay a pretty penny to get it back now. Uh, and I think, one, that evinces a certain disagreement with the way Activision was running the franchise, uh, but it also is a strong statement of support for the fact that Bungie really, really wants to work with Destiny, wants to expand the franchise, wants to see it flourish in the future. And so I think even though we talk about all this legality, all we, we talk about all these business terms, we talk about this money, we talk about all these different things, there is a lot of positivity to be taken from this story if you really want Destiny to, to thrive and to flourish. Bungie's certainly all in. Does that mean that they will succeed? No. If they were public, they'd have to give the same kind of risk factors that Activision did, saying, hey, we don't know whether this was a good spend. All sorts of things could happen. Uh, but I certainly hope that, that Destiny 2 continues to flourish, that the next Destiny, whatever it might be called, uh, is a winner, uh, and that it's uh, something enjoyable for everybody that enjoys these kinds of games to play. 
And that's really all I wanted to say on this video, which was a short discussion of various legalities, financial statements, Bungie, and Activision. Uh, but if you like this, uh, please do like, please subscribe, please tell your friends. Uh, I do get a lot of good engagement from these videos, from places that these videos are shared, uh, whether that's on Reset Era or NeoGAF or Reddit or Tumblr or other message boards or forums or Twitter that you might be a part of, that you might be a member of the community of. Please do share it with anybody that you think would be interested in these kinds of things. I do these videos a lot, whether they're about video games or sports or business or law. Uh, and I love doing them. I love having that engagement. If you've got any comments, criticisms, uh, constructive or otherwise, please do leave them. I like having those engagements as well. Uh, and uh, if this is your first time, uh, please do check out some of the other stuff on my channel. Thank you very much for watching or for listening if you're listening to the podcast version of this video. Uh, and I will catch you on the next Virtual Legality.